thank you father yes lord for a thousand tongues to sing the great redeemer's praise the glories of our god and king the power of his grace he breaks the power of cancelled sin he sets the prisoner free his blood can make the foulest clean his blood availed for me we just want to thank you lord that there is still a fountain filled with blood drawn from emmanuel's veins when sinners plunge beneath that flood they lose all their guilty stains oh we want to thank you father for what you have done for us on that cross we just want to thank you this evening we just want to praise you we just want to glorify your name and even now even as now we father meditate upon your word we spend the rest of the hour oh lord in your presence i pray lord that you would minister to us that you would speak to us that you would wash us by the water of your word that you would give us discernment that you would give us anointing to hear and to obey and to speak we thank you we praise you we give you glory father for this time that you have given to us in jesus name amen well uh today being a very famous day um um for young lovers especially youngsters and i wanted to actually title my sermon as first love but there's a movie which is going on called toli prema i didn't want to plagiarize the title so i thought preserving our love for god is a better title oh, by the way toli prema in english i mean english means first love okay um preserving our love for god is what i wanted to look at today um let's uh, read some scripture found in revelation chapter 2 and this is from verses 1 onwards these things very famous passage we all know this so let's read together these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands and these um seven golden lampstands symbolize the seven churches and the seven stars the seven pastors of these seven churches and then he says i know your works i know your labor i know your patience interesting right all this a trilogy of things that god speaks to us i know your works i know your labor i know your patience that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary fantastic commendation yeah nevertheless i have this against you that you have left your first love remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the first works or else i will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent by the way um just heard a few few weeks back i was listening to one of one servant of god who was sharing in his church he said the last words that jesus spoke to the church 
or to the disciples was not going to all the world and make disciples of all nations. The last words that Jesus spoke were, repent. That's interesting. That you look at every church except two churches, one thing the Lord tells the church is to repent. Look at uh, this trilogy again, by the way, appears in another place uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 1. This is what Paul has to say. Verse 3, 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love. You see that? And patience of hope. You have faith, your work, labor and patience being mentioned here, but something is added. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. So we'll just try to look at, juxtapose these two verses and try to see what is common and what is uncommon. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Work of faith. Labor of love. Patience of hope. What is missing? You have works but no what? Faith. You have labor but no love. You have patience but no Hope. See, that's what he's telling the last day's church. I mean, not the last day's church, this church at Ephesus. He says, you have labor, you have works, you have patience, but you have no faith. Can you imagine a church which is doing so many good things, but without faith? So you can do a lot of activity in the name of Christianity or even in the name of Christ, but have absolutely no faith. You can do a lot of labor, have absolutely no love. You can have a lot of patience, but there's no hope. But everything is connected with love, by the way. That's that's a central part which holds faith and hope together, is love. I just want to look at a few verses showing this faith, hope, and uh, faith, love, and hope, love connection. This is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but what? Faith working or expressing itself through love. You see that? So you have a faith-love connection here. We know this verse pretty well. And again in Romans chapter 5, you have verse 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the, what? The love of God is shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So what holds faith and hope? Together is the love of God. And that is what he says to the Ephesian church. He says, you lost your first love. So I want us to think, you know, this time of the month when the whole world celebrates love. Yeah. What is that which makes us fall out of love? That's what happened to the Ephesian church. You have fallen from where? From love. From your first love. What? What? What causes a church like this to fall out of love? And I believe this is there in every heart. We are all people who are vulnerable to falling out of love. Unless we guard our heart with all diligence. You see? It's very important for us to always stay fired up. And that is the reason why we constantly keep listening to the word which challenges us. 
and what happens how do we how do we fall i mean forget this thing i mean how do we fall from love one of the things that i believe is because we forget the work of god in christ this is a very interesting passage in luke's gospel chapter 7 we know this very well so, uh, jesus is invited to the house of a guy called simon a pharisee and in his house something interesting happens a woman who's a sinner comes and she's she has an alabaster box of oil and she washes the feet of Jesus. And Simon has a question in his heart. And Jesus perceives the question and this is how Jesus answers Simon. This is what he says. Jesus answered and said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And he says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Question. Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more, logically. And he said to him, you have rightly judged, Simon. He turned to the woman and said to Simon. He turned to the woman and spoke to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman was anointed, has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Powerful statement. I want to ask these questions. You know, this, it's not an easy thing for Jesus to do. Uh, how many of you know Keith Green? Anybody here uh, among the worship team? Only two of you know Keith Green and Rishi, of course. Knows, and of course... Dr. Richard, thank you. For all of you who know Keith Green, he wrote a fantastic song. The lyrics of this song go this way. Look at what he says. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. But my eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. Does this describe any one of you? And then he goes on to say, I mean, he doesn't stop with the stanza, he goes on to say, but what can be done for an old heart like mine, O Lord? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew with the wine of your blood. You see, we forget what it costed Jesus to buy forgiveness of sins you see there's a very interesting thing when the paralytic guy was is 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 dropped from the from the roof and then jesus looks at him you know what he says you know what he says in luke's gospel chapter 5 he he says when he saw their faith he said to him man your sins are forgiven and the scribes and the pharisees began to reason who is this who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but god and when jesus perceived their thoughts he answered to them why are you why why are you reasoning in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. What is easy? 
to say that sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk, which is easy. I, mean, I, I, I spoke, I mean, I, I shared this some time back. The most difficult thing for people to do is to forgive others. Because it is traumatic to forgive. You see? I mean, it's not easy to overlook betrayal. It is not easy to be cheated and to let go of it. No. It is not easy to go through abuse and have no hard feelings. No. It's really, 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 really traumatic to forgive sins. And that's the reason why Isaiah chapter 53 will say, He was bruised for our transgressions. The chastisement was which brought us peace was upon him. He was crushed for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. It took the very son of God to buy pardon for our sins, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. This is not an easy thing to forgive since it costed the blood of the dear son of God, a lamb without spot, and blemish. The question therefore I ask myself today is, have I forgotten from where I came? Did I forget what God, God did for me when I was, when I was absolutely lost in my sin? Look at what it says in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1 onwards. The Lord gave me another message. This is in the New Living Translation. He said, He said, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. Remember? Um, one man of God said to his wife, not man of God, this is not a man of God. He told his wife, after 50 or 40 years of marriage, he told his wife and he said, you know when we got married, you were 23, I was 25. We had a small one-bedroom apartment. We had an old black and white television. We had a squeaking cot. Okay. I had all these things, but I had a beautiful wife. Now we are 50 years into our marriage. I have a huge plasma television. I have a huge cot. (laughs) Queen-size, king-size cot. I have a huge house to stay. But I have a not so beautiful wife next to me. And the wife said, if you try to look for somebody else, I'll ensure that you will have an old black and white television and a squeaky cot and a one bedroom apartment. You see, what has happened? After 50 years, he says, you know what? You have become so dull, so dry. You know, Proverbs, it says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Drink wine from your own cup. I mean, he says, even as the days go by in your marriage, which is essentially a symbol of your, it's a a prototype, if you will, a paradigm, a prototype of your relationship with Christ, does it really, really increase in love? Do you have the same kind of love that you had when you had nothing? You had, you were absolutely barren in the wilderness. There's nothing. You know, he's talking about a set of people who lo- who followed Joshua and Caleb, not, the, not those 600,000 men who disobeyed. 
He was talking about those young people below 20 years old who followed Joshua and Caleb for 40 years. They lost 40 years of their life in the wilderness because of the disobedience of their fathers. But they said, you know what, Lord, we love you. We don't care what we don't have, but you know, we have you. Wilderness is okay. Everything is okay. But we are eager to please you. That's what he says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord. They were absolutely separated. Holy means absolutely separated. They forsook everybody. Every love, their total concentration was Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. That's what happens, right? When people fall in love, Jehovah, Jehovah, not Jehovah. You can replace the name with whatever. You see? Spend time, hours and hours on the phone. Through the night, through the day. But then, after a while, common question. Every spouse will ask the other person, have you forgotten that? It's true. We were all, I mean, this is, it's absolutely a human nature. You know, that's the reason why, you know, uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 will say, the heart is what? Deceitful above all things. The word deceitful comes from the word Yaakov. Yaakov means supplanter or deceiver or deceitful like Jacob. The Hebrew word Yaakov is a supplanter. Supplanter means he changes one love for another. Supplants. You see? You forgot? Do you remember that? And then he goes on to say, All who harmed his people were declared guilty and disaster fell upon them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to the word of God. People of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me? That they, that led them to go astray from me. They worshiped worthless idols only to the, to become worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us to the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels? We forgot. It's so easy for us to forget. And one of the things that we constantly, that is the reason why we, when we come to communion, what is it, what, is, what does it say? Do this in what? Remembrance of me. How often? As often as possible. Of course, like, as a community of believers, we do it on the first Sunday, but you can do it every day if, if, if need be, in your own house, in your own private time of uh, devotion. What you, uh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the same night that he was betrayed, Remember that. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This Do this. In what? In remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You never want to forget what the Lord did for you. That is the reason why many people fall out of love. Their love goes cold because they forget from where they came. Second, second reason. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end in love will be saved. You see that? Because lawlessness will abound. One of the things that you need to realize, once you become a believer, it does not make you lawless. It makes you more law-abiding. You don't not, not only obey the letter of the law, you obey even the spirit of the law. 
standard is even more higher. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the, of, of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me uh, free from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on to say, for what the law could not do, God did that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us. He came to fulfill. How is, how is he going to fulfill the law inside of us? Romans chapter 13 will say, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the, for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are, all are summed up in one thing, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Love does not harm does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, how do you love? In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 15 and 21, this is what the Lord says. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And then he says something very interesting in verse 21. He says, he who has my commandments. is is very interesting. Not everybody has God's commandments. Only few. It's, you have to search and seek the scriptures to find his commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. And how do you, how do you love him? How do you uh, obey his commandments? He says, for this is the love that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They are a delight. Remember Jacob for seven years because of the love that he had for Rachel. He served his father. And it seemed like a few years for him. Few days. 14 years, in fact, for Rachel. Just like few days. So, understand that. Lawlessness will increase. And therefore, uh, many, many people's love will wax cold. So guard your heart against that. And going on. Second, another reason. Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. You see that? They become self-oriented. It's all about them. All about them. Everything around them. That's exactly what a baby is. Everything around her. Small children are like that. They are lovers of themselves. They are lovers of pleasure than lovers of God. Uh, there's an interesting uh, devotion called uh, the Valley of Vision. Okay. One of the devotions is titled Man a Nothing. Okay. Man a Nothing. And this guy is confessing. This is what he says. When thou wouldest guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldest be sovereign, I rule myself. When thou wouldest take care of me, I suffice myself. When I should sub- depend on thy providings, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my will. When I should study, love, honor, trust thee, I serve myself. I fault and correct thy loss to suit myself. Instead of thee, I look to a man's approbation and I am by nature an idolater. You see that? Self, self, self. This is a confession he's doing. And then he says, Lord, it is my chief design to bring my heart back to you. 
Convince me that I cannot be my own God or make myself happy nor my own Christ to restore my joy nor my own spirit to teach and to rule me. It is impossible, he says, for me not to do it unless you do it and you convince me. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 and 24. Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who directs, who walks to direct his own steps. Oh Lord, correct me. But with justice, not in anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Correct me, Lord, he says. But not with anger. Lest you bring me to, to nothing. That is exactly what God does. He's, why? That is the reason why most of us go through periods of chastisement. Why? God is correcting, correcting, rebuking, taking out the dross from you. Let me tell you honestly, one of the ways that he will get your attention is to take you through the wilderness. So that you will lose all confidence in yourself. 40 years for Moses. Three and a half years for Apostle Paul. And the more intelligent you are, the longer you will dwell in the wilderness. If God has a plan for your life. Okay. So how many intelligent people in God's house? See. Very smart. Very intelligent. You have all your reasonings not to trust God. You know what God will do? He will strip you of all the dependencies in your strength, in your intelligence, in your wisdom, in your education. Everything he will strip you of. Bring you to nothing. That is how. But what you know what God is doing? He is correcting us in justice, not in anger, lest he brings us to nothing. He brings us to a point where we say, Lord, I cannot do anything. The Lord tells Moses, please go. He says, I can't speak, Lord. A man who thought he was mighty in word and in deed and in wisdom, in all the ways of the Egyptians, he was absolutely brilliant. He was a brilliant scholar, but God has to bring him to nothing 40 years in the wilderness. He has to strip him off. Otherwise, you will never, never experience the love of God in your life. And he has to bring you to nothing. What do you trust in? Your own strength? In your own relationships? In your career? In your education? You see? He is going to bring you to nothing. And then he goes off. Same, the, take me to the cross and leave me there. It is at the cross. Derek Prince makes a very fantastic statement. He says, it is at the cross, my will and God's will cross. He says, it is at the cross, my will and God's will cross. And then what you should say? Not my will, O oh Lord, but yours be done. And you pick up the cross and walk. That is how. That is how I believe Paul succeeded because he understood this. He said, I am crucified. I no longer live, but the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and he gave himself for me. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. And then he says, in Galatians chapter 6, he says, By the cross, the world has been crucified to me. I have been crucified to the world. In Romans chapter 6, he says, On the cross, my old man was crucified, so the body of sin should be done away with, so that I should no longer serve sin. Not my own will, but yours be done. But what has happened in these last days? Philippians chapter 3. We know a very famous verse. Philippians chapter 3. For many walk of whom I have told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the what? 
the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. That is the reason why it says carnal mind is what? Enmity against God. Okay, that is the reason why we fail in our walk of love with God. So what, I, have to, I should give you the analysis of your problem and I should also give you what? A solution. Okay, I should not leave you without a solution. If you just give you the diagnose the problem, then what's the whole idea? So what is the purpose of teaching? Is a question. What is the purpose of you coming to the house of God on a Wednesday? Uh, today is not a holiday. Okay, and then why should you come? Waste your time, energy, etc. Why? What is the purpose of teaching? What is the purpose of instruction? Let us see. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. But the goal of instruction is, ah, that is the reason why you come to church. But the goal of instruction is love from where? From a pure heart, from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. So if you want to really love God, the instruction has to create pure heart. The instruction has to give you a good conscience. The instruction has to give you sincere faith. Just not faith. Just not conscience. Just not a heart. It should give you a pure heart. Just not not not, not normal heart. Not a good heart. It should give you a pure heart. That is how you preserve your love for God. Otherwise, you will just fall away in these last days. Pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You see. But what is pure heart? A heart that was tested by fire. That is what it means. A heart that is cleansed from all guilt. That's what it means. The end of instruction is to give you a pure heart. Love from a pure heart. Okay, let's look at pure heart first. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Keep your heart with all vigilance from out of it flows the springs of life. This is one of the things that we need to guard our heart. Put a, put a what do you call as a fortress around it so that nothing of the enemy comes into the heart. Purity. You see, this generation to stay pure. See? When everything is there at the click of a button. First Peter chapter 1 verse 22 will say, Since you have, how do we do this? Since you have been pure, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love for the brethren. Love one another fervently from a pure heart. So how do you get this pure heart? By what? By obeying the truth. And therefore Jeremiah chapter, so John chapter 17, 17 will say, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. That is the way, that is the reason why your instruction, your instruction of every week, week after week, week after week, why you are being, why are you being instructed? So that you take the word of God and just not take the word of God. You obey the truth and then you have a pure heart. Why? Why the word of God? Hebrews chapter 4, we know this verse very well. For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit joints and the marrow, discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, 
You see, even in your obedience, even in your body language, you see, you have an, you have to, this is the reason why the word of God just comes and shows exactly why, why you did this. Why did you give to the church? For example, that's what Ananias and Safira came. Why did you give to the church? Because you wanted honor from men. Dead. You see. Literally, I mean, this is one of the things that is, that is the reason why many of, in the last days people, that, in, in Timothy, Paul will say, people will be, will, will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. Because they don't want to get corrected. They don't want your, their thoughts and the intents of their hearts to be revealed. No. Second thing is a good conscience. Okay. So how do we get a good conscience? Who show the work, this is Romans chapter 2 verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts either excuse them or accuse them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. It's a good conscience. What is this conscience? You see, in your heart, I mean, in your conscience, conscience is essentially your, it's like a, a, a compass which shows absolute north. But if the compass is faulty, it will show you a different direction altogether. If the absolute is faulty, Martin Luther will say this fantastic statement. We know this verse, uh, statement. How can I recant? My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot recant. My conscience is just not a normal conscience. It is just not a okay, okay conscience. It's a good conscience absolutely made captive to the word of God. Meaning, my authority, my uh, absolute standard is the word of God. See? And a third thing he says is sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, from good conscience, from sincere faith. Three things. Pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. What is sincere faith? This word is the opposite. Sincere meaning opposite of hypocrisy. A genuine faith without pretense. Without hypocrisy. This is what it says in Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute any iniquity and in whose spirit there is no hypocrisy. But how do you know that there is no hypocrisy? He will say, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Meaning, as long as you deny that you have not sinned, or if you say that I have sinned but you know, it was just a mistake. If you call your sin mistake. Sorry, God did not die for our mistakes. He died for our sins. You know that. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This is G- David. Thank God that you have some, some, uh, on David, God's hand was heavy. My vitality was turned into, uh, turned into me, uh, sorry, was turned into drought of summer. Selah means pause. For a few minutes. Think about it. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Okay. Exactly, right? When something breaks, children, when they break something, when the parents are not around, okay, and they just put it together and put it to the corner, and then the parents come back home, everything is quiet. Silent. Why is there silence? 
And you know your your children. What did you do? Nothing, 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 nothing. Remember? Whenever children are silent, then there's always a problem. That's why, that's why. Why are the children silent? They're doing something there. You see? When I was silent, but then what happened? I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. Then you know what I said? I said to myself, you know, one of the things that people constantly have to do is to speak to themselves. What did they speak? What did he speak? I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I did not hide it. That is the reason why it says, those who hide their sins will not prosper, but those who confess it and forsake it will obtain what? Mercy. You hide your sin. That is the reason when when John the Baptist was baptizing, he said, you brood of vipers, unless you bring fruits worthy of repentance, don't even come. But when people came, they all came into the waters of baptism, confessing their sins publicly. That is sincere faith. Openly saying, Therefore, you know, one of the things that we need to have is a constant check and balance all the time in our lives. Accountability is the key. James chapter 5. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church. What should he do? You've heard this several times. The elders will not call you. You should call the elders and let them pray over them, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Confess your trespass one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess your trespass one to another. Just don't confess to the Lord. Confess your trespass one to another. Be accountable to one another. Otherwise, there will be a lot of pretending in the church. You see, one of the things that I've realized in my life is that if I don't have constant accountability of a person who is senior to me in the faith, I will easily fall away. A very interesting checklist of a set of people who came together and wanted to be accountability partners. They asked themselves these questions. You know, accountability partners. So that their faith is sincere. Question number one. Did you see any sexually explicit material on internet, movies or television? Including atom numbers. So they ask these questions. Candid. Open. Question number two. I mean, it's so important for us, right? Is it possible? You just get out of your, of your, of your home and then you see some furniture store having a woman. They're selling furniture and the woman. Question number two. Did you spend time with a woman other than your wife, privately? Without your wife's knowledge? Accountability partner. Third question they ask themselves. Did you spend time searching the scriptures and in prayer? And the last thing is a killer. Did you just lie to me? See that? You know, you do this regularly? You know, 
This is what we call as vulnerability. You become vulnerable to one another. I am not saying vulnerable means uh, just openly. I mean, some people are emotionally vulnerable. No, they become, it's like I heard the story of this woman uh, who came to this uh, public meeting and, you know, they were all confessing their faults. They were trying to be vulnerable. Sometimes people make some stupid things. Okay, uh, this this lady, Mike came to her. I'm so sorry that I was so angry with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was like this. My mother-in-law is that. My mother-in-law is this. I'm asking God to please help me to love my mother-in-law. And she did not know that three rows behind the mother-in-law is there. That is not vulnerability. That is stupidity. He is not talking about vulnerability that way. Same. And people just openly say, ah, I did this, I did this, oh, oh, this. That is not vulnerability. That, that is people, you want people to empathize with you. You don't want to change. See. You see? You really want to change? No, I don't think so. So, whom do you be, I mean, you, do, you, do you be accountable to? How do you make yourself accountable? To whom should you be accountable? There's a principle, by the way. There is absolutely a principle. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy. How do you get this sincere faith? 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. The faith which first dwelt in your grandmother and in your mother and I am sure now dwells in you. You know what he's talking about? Timothy's father was a Gentile. He was not a believer. Two people in his household knew the scriptures very well and they mentored Timothy. What was there inside of her, inside of them, they passed it on to Timothy. What does it tell me? You know, the way you really, really, really have sincere, unfeigned faith. In other translations it says, faith unfeigned. Unfeigned means faith without pretense. Faith without hypocrisy. How do you have that kind of faith? Unless you come under spiritual authority or headship. See, it is impossible otherwise. It is impossible to have sincere faith without coming under godly accountability and authority. See, that is the reason why it says in second, uh, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 11, it says, uh, Christ is the head of man. The head of man is the woman. And the head of Christ is God. You see, there's always an order over there. Doesn't mean that Christ and God are not equal. No, they're equal. But there is headship. You see? What does headship mean? What does a head do? And I remember one man of God talking about headship. He says, you know, body and a head. Okay? Head takes inputs from the body. From every part of the body. He takes inputs. But it makes the decision. Who makes the decision? Head makes the decision. Who initiates the action? Head initiates the action. Who ensures that the initiated action comes to its logical conclusion? Head. It directs every part of the body in order to to ensure that the decision that the head has taken after gathering all the inputs from different parts of the body come to their logical conclusion. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you see all the beasts, they have how many heads? More than one head. You see, and that is the reason why in a home, headship is absolutely important. You have the husband who is the head over the house. Okay. That is 
Otherwise, if you have two heads, you have what we call as division. Two vision. In other words, division. Two heads. Who's making the decision? Who's initiating the action? Who's directing so that the initiated action comes to this logical conclusion? So important. So unless you come under authority, unless you come under spiritual, mature, godly authority at regular intervals, that is the reason why we have every first Saturday men's fasting and prayer where we come and try to confess our faults with one another. We don't do it very well. Do we ask these questions? I want to let me see the Show the question. I mean, how how many of you watch sex? I mean, do you don't have to ask this question to yourself. Don't have to show your hands. That is stupidity again. Sexually explicit material on the internet. Spend time with a woman who is other than your wife. Without your wife's knowledge. You spend time searching the scriptures and praying. And you have not lied to yourself. And to the other. That is the reason why the first thing it says in Ephesians, give up lying to one another. Do not lie to one another. Keep put away lying. One of the strongest spirits that has to be broken in our lives is the lying spirit. And the way we break the lying spirit is by coming under godly authority. Accountability. Submission. That is how we get what faith? Otherwise, there is no sincere faith, Baba. Is all pretense only. Pretense. Are we really strong enough to resist the temptations that are being, that we are being bombarded by? And that is the reason why God has given us a church. So that we pray for one another, we confess our faults with one another. We are absolutely on the course only when we, I remember Sam made me his accountability partner and every time he watches something trash, it comes to my email. Have that! It's, 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 I mean, it was quite some time back, not anymore. Very, very long time back. You see? Have, do you have accountability groups in your church? Among sisters? Do you have accountability? When you speak to one another, how do you speak? What do you speak? You have to talk this. Otherwise, it's only, you know, what we call as eyewash. How are you? I'm fine. You're doing okay. I'm doing okay. Everything is okay. It's not going to work out. That is sincere faith. Faith which is unfeigned. And what did these people teach them? Look at what it says. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 15. And from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Who taught him the holy scriptures? His mother and his grandmother who were scripturally and mature to him in their spiritual life. They were the people who transmitted their faith to Timothy. And he had therefore had sincere faith. What does it tell me? It tells me that if you really, really, really want to sub, uh, to have sincere faith in these last days so that your love is guarded. For God is guarded. Take care of pretense, my dear brothers and sisters. What, otherwise what will happen? You'll just be pretending all your life and slowly, slowly, without your own knowledge, the love for God will become colder and colder and colder because you cannot fake it for a long time. It will become harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And it will be a time where you will just fall away. See, very important for us to look at this. That is the reason why the goal of our instruction is love. From a pure heart. Good conscience. 
sincere faith. Love from a pure heart, a heart which is tested by the word of God. Conscience which is, which is connected to the highest standard, which is the word of God. And faith which is without hypocrisy. And then you can have a love which is increasingly becoming warmer and warmer even as the days progress. Why? Because in the last days there will be tremendous amount of deception. Incredible amount of doctrine which is going to draw you away. Come under headship. Come under authority. Let God, that really, really, you know, what these days I've been with Pastor James for almost like one year, for a month and a half after year 2018 started. One of the things I told myself is every day I will go and talk to him. Every day. And it didn't happen in 2017. It, I make a conscious decision every day to go and spend time with him. I get exhortation. I get correction every day. And I'm telling you honestly, it has kept me on the straight and narrow path. And I can recommend that to you. You know, it is voluntary in the kingdom of God. Nobody forces this, these, these things on you. It is all voluntary. Submission is voluntary. Otherwise, what will happen? You don't have a pure heart. You don't have a good conscience. You don't have sincere faith. And therefore, your love is not sincere. It's not right. It's all emotional and love is not emotion. It may have strong emotions accompanied with it, but it is most primarily the act of a will. You love God. You love God because you will to love Him, not you feel to love Him. Okay, so this, this evening I just want to end by asking us this question this day. How many of us really have this love out of a pure heart? Out of a good conscience? Out of a sincere faith? How is our faith this evening? Check our hearts. How is our conscience? Is it defined? Is it, is it, is it sensitive? Is it sensitive conscience when somebody, you, even if you're a small lie or pricking in your conscience and you cannot rest until you, until you reconcile your conscience with God? Ask this question. That is the provision of the new covenant. God says your conscience can be purged from dead works by the blood of Jesus. Is your heart pure? Is every intention, every thought being questioned? See, this is not to make you feel guilty. This is to bring conviction. Guilt is from the devil. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit is called? If I by the Spirit of God have driven out demons and what has come upon you? The kingdom of God. And another translation it says, I by the finger of God. You know what a finger does? Points exactly where you are compromising. It is not general. Precisely comes and locates and says, you know what, Vijay, this particular thing you did the other day, you were, you were unkind to your wife. Whatever. That is what the finger of of God does. It convicts us of our sin. And that is how we keep on ensuring that the word of God cleanses us from our intentions and our thoughts and becomes purer and purer every day. It's not one day. It's every day of our life. And this year, let us say, Lord, don't let my love grow cold. Don't let my vision die. Don't let my love grow cold. 
don't let my vision die. Fan back to flames if the love has grown, grown cold. Ask God today, this evening. Let's pray. Let's pray this evening. Let's come to the, say, ask God and say, Lord, speak to me, Lord, this evening. Father, Father, we have heard over and over and over again. But Lord, we just want to tell you this evening, Father, that you are, you are not, you are sick and tired, O oh Lord, of compromise. You are sick and tired of pretending. We want to come to you and Lord, we want to be sincere. We want to confess our faults one to another. We want to come under authority. We want to come under headship. So that Lord, we can live a holy life. That we can be accountable. That we can be trusted in these last days. Find in us, O Lord, a group of people who will love you. Irrespective of Lord. Who will say, Lord, here I am, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. Purge it. Cleanse it from all its affections which are not of you. And give it desires which will please you. I thank you, Father, for this time that you have blessed us with, O Lord. Even as we, Father, depart from this place, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to minister to us through your word. I pray, Lord, Father, that we will not pretend. That we will not act. We will not put on a mask. We will walk with you. And that we will walk with one another. And that you will build a church upon that foundation and the gates of hell will not prevail. Because it was founded upon a rock of sincerity and of truth. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this time. Commit every one of us into your hands. And even as we go through to the, through the rest of the week, I pray, Father, that Lord, you would minister to us and let your word continue to burn in our hearts. And let it bear fruit in our lives. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus name. Amen.